Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Amen. I'm going to encourage you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to be in Isaiah 43 uh, in verse 19, Isaiah 43 verse 19. And we're going to get to that text in just a few moments. On our way to the text, let me say this. Today we begin a new series of conversations, a new sermon series that will last throughout the summer, and I cannot tell you how excited I am about this series. It begins today and it runs seven weeks long, but most of the talking will not be by me. That's good news for you. We have guests coming, and every Sunday I will get to stand here and introduce to you some people I admire, some people who have fed me over the years. And next week, our first guest, I'm just going to say it right here, you do not want to miss next week. Uh, Joel Gregory will be here next week and the week after. Uh, The week after that, on the third week, there will be an old friend of mine, uh, George Lyons, he is the pastor, the senior pastor at uh, the second oldest African-American congregation in the U.S. He's in, he's in near Richmond, Virginia. And the last Sunday will be uh, Dr. Meredith Stone. She teaches Hebrew Bible and Christian ministry at uh, Loxton School of Theology at Hardin-Simmons University, um, or, or as Cecil Sherman used to call it, Hardin-Sinners <laughs> University, which happens to be where... Glenn graduated, right? And she will be here on the fourth week, and then I will finish the series for the, the, the last two. Um, I'll tell you that during the greeting time just a moment ago when we were shaking hands, I went over to my son, and he said, hey, Dad, um, how did it feel when we were looking at that graphic and you were the only one without a doctor beside your name? <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Big jerk. Okay. (laughs) You know, um, next week really is going to be a fantastic week. I do hope you'll come. Joe Gregory is one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. In fact, I'm a little bit nervous that I may have to reapply for this job after he's here. But for today, today we begin by talking about change about change, about going through seasons of change. And on this Father's Day Sunday, maybe the best thing I can do with you is is to not give some Father's Day example where the preacher ends up looking like he's got fatherhood figured out because he's working at it. (laughs) Instead, can can I start with a Father's Day confession of a place where I am struggling with change? So a few weeks ago, my son, the one who was so kind to me a little while ago, got a driver's license. Yeah, okay. 
And, and, and I got to say this, he's a fantastic driver. I mean, he really, sometimes the foot is a little heavy for dad, but he's a great driver, really is. But I cannot tell you what a struggle it was the first couple of weeks watching my son get into a car and drive out of the, the driveway without anybody in it but him. And it got even a little more intense when he took his little brother. And I see my progeny, my, my only two sons drive away. And I got to tell you, that's a, that's a struggle. It's a change. <laughs> and I'm working on it. But it didn't start a few weeks ago when he got his license. You know when it started? When the doctor handed me the snips and said, would you like to cut the cord? Yeah. I should have never cut that thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know. It would, it would probably make, like, prom next year a little awkward. <laughs> hey, this is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Let's see, some change has to happen. Come on. Some change has to happen, and yet it's, it's, it's not easy. Not easy. I hope that you saw in our video trailer for this series that I quoted an old philosopher, a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Heraclitus lived about 500 years before the birth of our Lord. And, and he said that no man ever steps into the same river twice. For he is, it is not the same river, and he is not the same man. For this reason, he was known as the, the philosopher of change, but his students came along, and later on, his students kind of took that philosophy and expanded upon it a little bit. One student said, yes, it's true that you can't step into the same river twice, but for that matter, you, you can't even step into the same river once. Because as soon as you step into it, well, the, the current of the water changes immediately. The, the rock, the silt, the mud, it moves. The water changes, and the river is no longer the same river the first time. And, and your foot, it's wet. and has changed already. You can't even step into the same river once. It was Heraclitus to whom we attribute the saying, the only constant in life is change. He believed that the universe itself was a dynamic universe that was a constantly changing universe, which made him really a radical in his day. But the astrophysicists of our day confirm what he knew millennia ago, what he suspected millennia ago. The fact is our universe is ever-changing. It's expanding. Do you know that the edge of our universe is 90 billion trillion miles away? All right, so that's 90 million, 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 million. Which, to put it in, in, in context, that's too far for Nathan to drive. That's a long way away. And the truth is you and I are only a part of a tiny, tiny little corner of that ever-expanding universe. And the galaxies, we're told, the galaxies in the known universe are constantly expanding and moving away from one another. Get your head around that for a moment. That from one single place and moment in time, 
It's a, it's a concept that we refer to as galactic dispersion. The galaxies are constantly moving. They have never stopped, and they keep on moving away from one central place in time. And you and I, with theological orientations, know it to be the moment when God spake, let there be, and bang, universe began. And as they continue to move away from one another, we recognize that we only live in a tiny part of it. Our solar system, in other words, the, our sun and, and the, few, the few planets that are just kind of around us and, and, and your neighbor and the neighbor's cat, just our little tiny solar system, it is currently traveling at high rates of speed, but it still takes 200, we travel at 558,000 miles per hour, just our little solar system. But it still takes our solar system, which lives in the Milky Way galaxy, it takes us somewhere between 200 and 250 million years to orbit just our galaxy. And our galaxy hosts not just our solar system, but an estimated tens of billions of other solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy alone. But the Milky Way galaxy is not alone. It has some friends. There's a neighborhood. And the Milky Way is a part of kind of like a neighborhood association. And with 54 other galaxies, it makes up what's known as a local group. And each of those galaxies has tens of billions of solar systems in them. But that local group, that HOA of galaxies, makes up just one local group of a bigger cluster called a supercluster. And that supercluster made up of a bunch of local groups that's made up of about 54 or more galaxies, which is made up of tens of billions of solar systems, made up of lots of moons and planets and, and 7-Elevens. That entire supercluster that is just one of who knows how many in the known universe is traveling at 666,000 miles per hour. The point? Change happens. Life morphs. And it's not just the universe that's around us. It's, it's the earth that is beneath us. This earth which weighs Six billion trillion tons. And we know this because someone measured it on a scale. We trust it. Six billion trillion tons is moving around our sun at 66,000 miles per hour while rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. This earth, which is constantly changing, is made up of six large tectonic plates and about 20 smaller plates that are never still, constantly slipping and moving and shifting beneath our feet. Did you know that Greenland moves a half an inch every year? What? And did you know that the continental arrangement, the arrangement of the continents as we know them right now on your map or on your globe at home, they have looked the way they look right now for only a tenth of 1% of history. 
point, change happens. Life morphs, and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's not just the universe around us or the earth that is beneath our feet. Do you know that it's, it's every cell that is in your body right now? Did you know that on average every day we lose 50 to 150 strands of hair, some more than others? Do you know that also we lose our skin cells or the, the, the flakes of skin we lose somewhere between 10 billion or more flakes of skin every day. Every day. Which means that every 28 days, you have an entirely new system of skin. You shed your skin at such a rate that every 28 days, in other words, you don't have the same skin as you had last month. And it's not just the skin on your outside or the hair on your head or the hair in your hairbrush. It's the cells in your body. Do you know that this, this really blows the mind? Before I finish speaking this sentence, the one that I'm speaking right now, comma, you will lose 25 million cells in your body. 25 million cells will have died by the end of that sentence. But that shouldn't stress you out. Because by bedtime, you will gain 300 billion new ones. That means that every time you lose cells and rebuild them at a rate like that, every 7 to 10 years, you have completely emptied out every cell and have gained new ones. That means every 7 to 10 years, you are a completely different person. At the very cellular level, you are completely different every seven to ten years. And yet, in God's marvelous design, there's something that allows you to remember whether you like the taste and texture of sautéed spinach. The point? Change happens. And life morphs. It's happening all the time around us and under us and even within us. And there's not a thing that we can do about it. The Latin phrase for it is semper reformanda, which means we are always being changed. But it's not just around us and under us and in us. It's not just physically that we are being changed, but every part of our human experience, our relationships change our vocations change. We, we go through morphing moments in our own family systems. And typically when you and I go through these seasons of change or morphing moments, we put up a guard. We want to stop it, slow it down, run away from it because we interpret change as something to resist. We interpret change as something that has come to undo us or unravel us. But I want to suggest something different. In this series, I want us to consider the possibility that it's in those very moments of change when you have the capacity to meet the holy presence of God unlike any other moment in your life. It's in the very midst of transformation and change when everything seems to be turned upside down when you have the capacity to meet the love of God like you never have before. And I think that is what this text is about that I want us to read here. It's from Isaiah chapter 43, and we're just reading one verse today. 
verse 19. And this is what Isaiah says. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Now, in order to understand the text and what that, that, that verse is all about, we have to go back about 50 years before this verse was first heard. About 50 years prior to this declaration that God is doing a new thing, we have to understand that the people of faith, they were living in Jerusalem and everything was just fine. In fact, they had set up a life that really works. They had worked hard on getting there, but now they were affluent. All the systems were in place. Little League started at predictable times of the year. Right? HOA worked. And yet, there was a downside in the midst of that time. They, even in their affluence, even in all of the ways their life was constructed to be strong and predictable and good, in the midst of that, that success, they began to neglect those who were poor. And they began to forget the widow and the orphan and the resident alien and the stranger. Now, I know that doesn't happen in affluent communities today. But I'm saying one time, long time ago, it did. And God allowed the Babylonians to come into the city and sack the place. And they destroyed the temple. And they carried the people who were once on top of their world, they carried them now as captives into, into exile. Everything that they had in control was now out of their control. Things had changed. They fell down. And as they're walking in this long march to Babylon, to Babylonian exile, they look back over their shoulder and they see in ruins smoldering the remains of the temple which symbolically meant that their universe had collapsed. Because they believed that as long as the temple stood firm, then God was with them. And they believed that the, the universe was in order because if the temple stood strong and every day they saw sacrifices going up, then God was in his holy temple and all the world was right. But as they walk that long march into Babylonian exile, as they move through the morphing moment of exile, they look back and they not only see their city in ruins, they see everything they ever believed about God smoldering. You know, there are some changes that we could go through that cause us to dismantle everything we ever thought we knew about God. There's some seasons of change we go through that cause us to maybe unbelieve everything we used to believe. And as your pastor, I'm just going to say this. That's okay. Because there are some seasons when we need to dismantle what we had constructed about our beliefs in God in order for God to actually meet us in our pain and our long march to exile. They went into exile believing that God had completely abandoned them. Because that's what change does, isn't it? Isn't that what change does? When we go through a season when everything is upside down and we can't predict it, we don't know where we're going, it seems as if God has abandoned us. Deus absconditus, the God who has absconded and left town. And yet, 
They make it to Babylonian exile and they have to start learning how to make life happen. They have to adjust to the change that they didn't want to come. And another prophet at the time began to speak the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah comes onto the scene and begins to talk to them about you're, you're going you're to have to learn how to live in the seasons of change, this exile, even though I know you didn't want to see it come and I know you didn't ask for it, but it's coming and here it is. You're going to have to learn how to live in it. And so we find these words from Jeremiah. So go ahead and build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Jeremiah says, look, I know this thing fell apart. You didn't, you didn't see it coming. You didn't, you didn't want it to come, but here it is. So go ahead and live. And they begin to slowly learn some things about themselves and about God. They begin to recognize that maybe the God they thought was destroyed back in the temple, maybe God followed them into exile. That maybe that same God can be found, oh, I don't know, with them. That maybe everything that they had constructed that represented God, when it collapsed, Maybe God didn't collapse, but their previous versions of what they thought about God had collapsed. And the exiles begin to recognize this God is a mobile God. This God travels. This God goes with us and in us. And the most beautiful expression of this comes in the Psalter, in the Psalms, the book of Psalms. There is one Psalm, it's powerful. And it's written, we believe, in pre-exilic or during exilic times, during the time of exile, is Psalm 137. In Psalm 137, we get this, this painful, oh, it's just, it's heart-wrenching, right? This, this word that comes in this Psalm 137, and, and it begins this way, um, there by the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our harps. We hung up our harps on the willow tree, the willow tree, which we call around here the weeping willow tree. We hung up our harps on the willow tree because our captors tormented us, asked us for mirth, saying to us, hey, sing us one of those songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And see, right there in Psalm 137, they reveal what they think about God and what they think about change. They assume we can't sing about God because God is way back there in our former life. And here we are, everything has changed. Nothing is ever the same. We'll never see him again. There's even imagery in that Psalm 137 about the hand withering, the hand that's meant to strum and make chords on the music, on the lyre. The... There's even imagery about the tongue clinging to the roof of the mouth the tongue that's meant to sing can no longer sing because God is nowhere to be found. Fact is, many of us know what that feels like. It's real. It's real. And yet, we see an evolution in the, in the theology of the people living in exile because two chapters later, in Psalm 139, which is my favorite psalm in the entire Psalter, 
we hear these words. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You're acquainted with my thoughts from far away. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, even if it's clung to the roof of my mouth, even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I I can't even grasp it. And then these words, think about it, from people in exile. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the furthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me fast. See, there is within the people of exile this experience. They are recognizing that change happens and life morphs. But when it does, God can still be found. You know, what fascinates me about this verse that we're reading today, the one about, see, I am doing a new thing, is the language that's used. See, I am doing a new thing. We know from Old Testament studies that I am is the name of God, the great I am. See, I am doing a new thing, whether you recognize it or not. Whether you interpret it as a healthy, life-giving thing for you or not, I am doing a new thing. It now springs up. Can you perceive it? So the the older I get and and the longer I, I journey in this thing that we call faith, the more I, I recognize something that has shifted in me. There's a truth that guides me these days that it took a while to learn. It's this. We don't lack the presence and action of God in our lives. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we read the tea leaves, regardless of what it looks and feels like, we don't lack the presence of God, the action of God in our lives. What we lack is the awareness of it. So much of salvation is about waking up to see the thing that's already taking place in us whether we see it there or not. Do you know who one of our teachers is on this? Daniel LaRusso. Go on. Karate Kid. In the original Karate Kid movie, Daniel LaRusso, do you remember the movie? And Daniel is trying to learn karate from Master Miyagi, from Mr. Miyagi. But Miyagi puts him through all of these activities that seem to have no meaning. He has him washing and waxing his car, painting his house, painting his fence, sanding his floor. And and Daniel is frustrated because all Daniel feels is, 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 is that he's going through these meaningless movements. But he doesn't recognize that while he's doing them, he's developing a kind of muscle memory. He's developing the muscle fascia necessary to do all the critical moves in self-defense. He doesn't know it yet. He doesn't. He doesn't see it, that there's action in him until he squares off with Mr. Miyagi. And Miyagi says, I want you to show me these things. They go face to face. 
And then all of a sudden, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, paint the house, sand the floor, sand the floor. <laughs> and don't forget, when you bow, to uh, always look in the eye. <laughs> there we go. With Daniel's demonstration, the parable of the karate kid is this. There's always action in us. There's always the divine, holy presence and action of God at work in us, whether we see it or not. So his question is a powerful question. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? And I say this to you because you and I all will go through seasons of change. Every one of us will go through morphing moments that will cause us to question everything, including the presence and action of God in this entire place. But what would it take to actually see, to see that the thing happening is actually the presence and action of God? The first thing I think that you have to do is learn to surrender. In order to see that the change that's going on is something from God, you have to learn to surrender. I think we have to learn to surrender. And what I mean by surrender is not simply quit or give up. I mean relinquish. I mean we have to learn that when we wake up every day, we got to do something that relinquishes the illusion that we are in charge of this thing. We have to somehow come to the place where we let go of this illusion that we control the universe, which we don't. But to our own detriment, we wake up every morning thinking, well, if I have a tight enough grip on this, and if I control this person and manipulate that person, if I... But that will keep us from seeing. When change happens that we can't control, we won't be able to see that it may be God up to something. In order for God to reveal what God is up to, we have to learn to surrender. You know who does this well? Our friends who are in addiction recovery. There are many prayers through the 12 steps, and one of the prayers that is early in the process is something you've heard, the serenity prayer, but the truth is most of us have only heard a part of the serenity prayer. And it goes something like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to encourage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, that's, that's strong. But what we don't know, don't remember, is that it's the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr who developed this prayer, and this is only half of it. The rest of the prayer continues. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, Taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Isn't that beautiful? The first thing we have to do if we want to see the new thing that God is always doing in us is we have to surrender. But the second thing that we have to do is we have to learn to examine. To examine the circumstances that we're in, the, the circumstance that we are resisting and fighting and running away from, we have to examine it not from our position in the change, but from positions outside of our own position. The trouble is we only look at the change that we experience through our own eyes, but if we can learn 
to see it from other vantage points. Now, the big high-dollar word for this is self-differentiation. We want to learn to self-differentiate, to, to be able to step out the circumstance and look inside the circumstance and read it. When our boys were young, I was trying to teach them how to do self-differentiation, but we didn't use that, that word. And so whenever I would see them get stressed about something or anxious or, or overwhelmed by a thing that they were going through or a, a, a crisis that they were facing or an argument that they were having, we, we kind of rehearse this kind of limerick. Here's what you have to do. You have to step outside of you and tell you what you want you to do. In other words, stop, just stop, freeze, pause, and step out the moment, almost like the Matrix, you know. And look around it. You're looking at you. You're looking at the circumstance, but you're not part of it right now. You're looking at it. Step outside of you and tell you what you want you to do. And then do it. Self-differentiation. This is why sometimes I have a conversation with my 85-year-old self. Whenever I go through seasons of crisis or change and, I, and I, I'm not sure which direction to go and I'm filled with anxiety, I try to sit down with my 85-year-old version of me and ask him what he thinks about this moment. And while sometimes I don't know what the 85-year-old Sean would say to the 45-year-old Sean, I do know what the 45-year-old Sean would say to the 15-year-old Sean. Step outside of you and tell you what you want you to do. See, sometimes we have to learn to examine. There's a great psalm that tells us to do this. It's the same psalm at the end of Psalm 139, the same psalm I quoted a moment ago, and it reads this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Psalm 26 says something similar. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and, and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So if we, learn to, if we want to see the thing that God is doing in us, we have to learn to surrender and examine. And the last thing we need to learn how to do is endure. Endure. One of the greatest themes of the New Testament is the theme of endurance, the theme of perseverance. While most of the documents in the New Testament were written primarily to an audience of those undergoing persecution and martyrdom, the theme is those who persevere to the end will be saved. We read from 2 Corinthians these words, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, but they will produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the trouble we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. George Mallory attempted to climb Mount Everest in the 1920s. Three times he tried. 
The last time, it killed him. In 1924, he died trying to make it to the top, made it about 28,000 feet up, only about a couple of thousand away from the peak. In 1999, they found his body preserved in the ice and snow. When they found his body, he, he was face down, head toward the peak, fingers dug into the mountain, toes pointed toward the mountain in the direction of his pursuit. The original crew that had waited for him at the bottom, at the base, back in 1924, who had to go back to England without him, they went back to England to a banquet in their honor. At the banquet, there was this larger-than-life-size picture of Mount Everest behind the banqueting table, and the leader of the expedition got up, and, and to, to thunderous applause, he began to weep. And he turned to to the picture of Mount Everest. And he said to the mountain, Everest, you have defeated us once. You have defeated us twice. You have defeated us a third time. But we will win because you can't get any bigger and we can. Whatever the change is that you're going through, whatever the trouble is, it can't get bigger. But you can. Your soul will enlarge as you endure change with the company of Christ. This is why James puts it this way. James chapter 1, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and trials or ch uh, challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open to show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not, not deficient in any way. Beloved, there is something happening in you whether you see it or not. It is the presence and action of God. See, I am doing a new thing. May we learn to surrender. May we learn to examine. May we learn to endure until we see. God, we, we confess to you that most of the time we struggle to see. We do. Because you tend to have a way about you, God. You tend to use trouble. You tend to use seasons of change and transition to do your best work, and yet it just turns us inside out. It causes us to wonder where you've where you've gone. It causes us to struggle to even believe. But will you show us today what it looks like to cling to you in the midst of change, that we might surrender the illusion that we are in charge. Help us to examine who we are in light of a God who is so ever-present. Empower us to endure 
regardless of these light and momentary afflictions. Help somebody today to see. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.